millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. You're listening to a bonus episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where we sit down with director of The Many Saints of Newark, Alan Taylor. I'm Tim Ifland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And before we jump into our chat with Alan Taylor, let's discuss The Many Saints of Newark, which goes back in time to one of the most tumultuous eras in Newark's history and introduces us to a young Anthony Soprano, just as rival gangsters are rising up to challenge the powerful DeMio crime family's hold over the race-torn city. Caught up in the changing times is the uncle Tony idolises Dickie Moltisanti, who struggles to manage his personal and professional responsibilities, and whose influence over his nephew will help make the teenager into the mob boss we'll later come to know, Tony Soprano. The Many Saints of Newark is directed by Alan Taylor, with a screenplay by David Chase, based on characters created by Lawrence Connor. The movie stars Alessandra Nivola, Leslie Odom Jr., John Bernthal, Vera Famiga, Corey Stoll, Ray Liotta and Michael Gandolfini. Now, Popcorn Podcast invited director Alan Taylor to talk about revisiting the world of The Sopranos in order to bring this prequel to life and why it was the right choice to cast the late James Gandolfini's son, Michael, as the younger version of his iconic character. All right, Lee, let's take a listen. What do you want, Richard? I'll be honest with you. I want the money. I want to do a good deed. 
Thanks so much for joining us today, Alan. The Sopranos is one of the greatest and most decorated TV series of our time. Why was it the right time to revisit this world? A few things converged, I think, but the main thing was the mysterious inner workings of David Chase's mind, because no one wants to see a movie based on the show that's not conceived by David, I don't think. It's um, his vision completely defined the show, so his vision had to define any movie. And somehow, for mysterious reasons that only he understands, he came around to seeing a story that he wanted to pursue. And so that's why the movie exists, mostly. Um, it turns out other things have sort of played out. You know, it's, it turns out that many people have gone back to watch the show again. And so there's a kind of, it's just sort of a second wave of um, Sopranos appreciation that I think is playing into the movie. And then in a darker way, one of the themes that we took on was sort of the, the, you know, the race struggle um, that was very overt and violent in Newark at the time. And we didn't know when we started it, but um, that issue came roaring to the surface again recently in America. So, you know, with George Floyd and, and the fallout mm -hmm. from that. And so in a way, it's the right time for looking back with a kind of a brutally honest eye to some things that, um, that have been troubling this country for a long time. So I think there's a bunch of things that sort of make it the right time for this movie to come out. That and the fact that for this brief moment, Michael Gandolfini was the right age to play <laughs> uh, with a little stretching, the, uh, the, the role that his father made famous. Did it take much convincing for you to come on board for this one? No, it was like the shortest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't even know there was a, a movie happening. And then I got a phone call from David saying there was a script that I want to read it. And I said, yes. And then I think I read it. And two days later, he said, did you read it? And I said, yes. And I think we had lunch the next week and he called me the next day to offer me. So I actually, it was a hard decision to make because I was doing something else and I had to drop out of that to do this. And also hard because it's an intimidating thing to take on and to you know not screw up. So I think I agonized over it. I'm sure everybody around me, like my family probably knows it was a tough decision, but, but really it was a no brainer too, because a chance to go back into this world and collaborate with David even more directly is the kind of thing that, you know, filmmakers uh, wish for. In fact, a lot of director friends of mine have expressed a kind of envy that, you know, it, it's hard to do a movie these days that has grown up and has serious themes and, and psychology and, and have it sort of get, get, get financing and get, and get a release. And I think it's because of the IP of Sopranos that we get this chance to do it. And um, so, you know, yeah, it was an obvious thing to do. I was really fascinated by the opening of the film that as the camera pans through the graveyard, you know, spilling its secrets. Can you expand a bit on the creative choice to open the movie that way? Yeah, that's, that's funny that you went to that. That's, um, uh, it's, it's a dark secret about making movies that it's a sausage factory and it's, you should probably never look back at how it's made. It, it's because it's completely upside down and backwards. We had various other beginnings in, uh, in mind while we were shooting the movie and David had a stroke of um, inspiration very late in the process. And we, um, I think it was around the time we were breaking for, because of COVID and starting again, he got this mm -hmm. idea and it finally sort of made sense of the movie in a way that, uh, I mean, it darkened things in an interesting way, mm -hmm. but it grounded it more in the series because there was a character that we knew from the series. But, you know, this is a movie that's got a lot of humor and a lot of absurdity and a lot of action, but it's also got a real darkness to it that mm -hmm. part of the show. I mean, it, it begins in a cemetery, it's narrated by a corpse and it, ends in a funeral so it's like <laughs> you can't get you know uh, you can't get much darker than that um and i think 
part of the tone that David chose was to sort of to have that be the bedrock of the thing. There's some great foreshadowing going on to the series, obviously, but perhaps one of the best is the choice to have Christopher narrate the film and to have baby Christopher scream anytime Tony gets near him. I really love that. Can you expand on the choice? Why was Christopher the choice to narrate? Well, funny, again, it was, it was, I'd I'd have to say it was the, you know, it was the intention all along, but in fact, it was something that was arrived at quite late. We had, believe me or not, believe it or not, we had versions that were narrated by other characters. We had, we, um, we had versions that were launched by different opening scenes and David came up with this and it sort of was one of those things that made things click into place. And it made, I mean, Christopher was such a wonderful character in the show. I was so grateful that I got to be the director that killed him. Um, And... (laughs) His, his, his death is a big part of this movie. And, and there's a scene as you, people have now seen in the trailer, I think, where young Tony meets young Christopher for the first time. And, it's, and if you know the show, it's really uh, a wonderfully dark echo to you know, where it's gonna wind up. So now it all makes sense, but of course we, we had to stumble through the darkness to find it uh, and try a few other things that didn't work before we found this one. And having Michael Gandolfini step into the shoes of his father's you know, younger character, uh, it was a stroke of genius, but it must have been quite tough for Michael or some strange feelings going on. How did he handle the weight of that task? The funny thing is I, I haven't heard until recently when I've seen him do some press that his first reaction was, hell no. I mean, his first reaction was, there's no way I'm going to do this. Um, because by the time he came to, to me, he, he, he'd made peace with the decision. And I was wary about casting him, first of all, to see if he could act. And he could. He, he did an audition. It was wonderful but also to see if he was up to it emotionally, because this is so much to ask of somebody. Mm-hmm. And clearly he'd done all the work he needed to do before he turned up because he was just a ray of sunshine on the set. I mean, he was um, one of the clearest signs that James Gandolfini was a wonderful father is that his son is one of the gentlest and sweetest people I've ever met. And he was a ray of sunshine on the set and yet able to go into this incredibly dark place at will and, and recreate this character. So. Yeah, we couldn't have done that if he didn't want to, if it didn't feel like a healthy thing for him to do. But I think it really was the right thing for our movie, thank goodness. And also, I think it was the right thing for him too. You mentioned earlier about it being set in the late 60s in an era of political and social unrest. What was your favourite part of that era to bring to life? Boy, where to begin? Because like, uh, I mean, I'm old now and, and like Tony Soprano, I think of that as being sort of a golden time in some way. <laughs> even though it was, you know, horrible tensions exploding and stuff, but the, the clothes, the, the music. The music was fantastic. Oh. Uh, well, that's, that's a lot of David in the music. He was, music was always hugely important to him in the show and hugely important. And he and I both made this sort of painful decision to not have any score in the movie at all, which is I'm realizing just how great score is because you can lean on it all the time. You, you can shape emotions and stuff. And if you let that go, then you're sort of doing a high wire act with no, with no net. But David's musical choices are, are pretty great all the time. So I think probably the chance to have that music be the backdrop and the style of the time, the uh, the cars, mm. the, the clothes, the hairstyles. To wrap up, it's been a rough couple of years for the industry, obviously. What's your hope for the future of cinema? Wowza, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it has been tough and it's, it's, and it's you know, creating uh, conflict and acrimony because no one quite knows how to handle this and, and people that you love and respect or fighting with other people that you love and respect to try and work out what the right way to proceed is. I mean, clearly we're heading towards a technological shift where the big screen and the streaming screens are gonna to have to merge. It's just, it's, it's, it's gonna happen. I hope we come out of this COVID nightmare and remember our love of shared social experiences. And I know David really wants this 
movie to be seen on the big screen. And I hope we're heading back there because for all kinds of reasons, not just because cinema is cinema and it should be experienced as a group in a dark room on a big screen, but also connection to each other is important. And, and uh, I think cinema and art can do that. And we have to get back there as, you know, and we can emerge from this chapter. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your time today, Alan. I really appreciate it. If anybody tells anybody about this, that was a really fascinating chat with Alan Lee. That was awesome. He was great. So many fascinating insights into this film. And we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. All right, guys. The Many Saints of Newark is in Australian cinemas from November 4th. So go check it out. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Alexa, and where all good podcasts are found. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.